Good morning. Welcome to Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Okay, well turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 29. 1 Samuel chapter 29. And you may remember from our last time together that the Lord had placed both David and Saul into what we call the double checkmate position. David, through his partnership with the Philistines, was now put in a position where he would be forced to go to battle against Israel. To be the personal bodyguard of King Achish and to fight against the nation that he was ultimately anointed to be the king of. And should they be victorious in that battle, his role as the bodyguard would be to do something that he had steadfastly refused to do. And that was to kill King Saul. So David was in a no-win situation here. And Saul was also put into a no-win situation himself. He was faced with the full might of the Philistine army. He was about to be attacked and enter a battle that he could not win. He no longer had the blessing and the Spirit of the Lord upon him and he had refused continually to repent for his sinful disregard towards God and he was now about to pay the ultimate price for that disobedience. So in other words, apart from the Lord's divine intervention into this situation, apart from God extending His grace to one or both of these men, it was loss. And friends, maybe you find yourself in that kind of a situation this morning. Maybe you find yourself in what seems to you to be a no-win situation. Maybe you feel trapped in disobedience behind enemy lines. Or maybe you're just facing an enemy who's lining up to take you down once and for all. And apart from God's divine intervention into your life, you face certain loss. This morning I want to share with you God's hope in the midst of that fierce storm because God can make a way when there is no way. Well, last time we saw that Saul, when he realized that God was not responding to him, he took matters into his own hands, which is something he was often doing. He dug himself an even deeper hole and dug deeper into his rebellion against God and he sought out a medium which God's Word had expressly forbidden. He intentionally and willfully flew in the face of God one last time. He looked for any alternative available apart from a true and sincere repentance. And we saw how the Lord revealed to Saul that his life would be required of him. His time was up and that he would die on the battlefield that very next day. 
And now we continue this morning and we're going to see how the Lord dealt with David's situation. So look at it in verse 1 of chapter 29. It says, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek. And the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And we notice in verse 1 that it begins with that word then. So this is a continuation of what was happening in the previous chapter. And so now the author is continuing the story that he begun in 1 Samuel 28 verse 4. After he had taken time to digress and include the story about Saul's visit to the medium. And you'll notice that we're given a few more specific details than we had in chapter 28. Because in 1 Samuel 28.1 we see that the Philistines camped at Shunem. Now if you look up on the screen you're going to see the map. And you're going to see Shunem's in about the middle of the screen. The other one, uh, Ryan. Thank you. There we go. So you're going to see Shunem's way up there actually at the top. And Aphex there in the middle of the screen. And so the Philistines, they all converged from their land. David was down in Ziklag, and you can see in Gaza and Ashkelon, they moved their way up and they all converged onto Aphek before together as an, one army moving up uh, to Shunem. And so they're marching through now the heart of Israeli territory heading northward. Meanwhile, you'll see that green line which shows the Israelite army heading from Gibeah where Saul was north to the spring in Jezreel. Now if you look at the second image, you're going to see a little bit closer version of that. And so you see the Philistines were in Shunem and the Israelites were in Jezreel. And they're camped across from each other and they're preparing for battle. Now I learned something notable as I was searching out this word Jezreel. And I found it interesting that this word in the Hebrew language literally means God scatters. Which is exactly what happened when the Israelites realized the battle was lost. They all scattered. They all fled. So the Philistines are all camped at Shunem and readying themselves for battle. And verse 2 says, And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. And you got to understand, this was a formidable force that had assembled here. And that explains why in 1 Samuel 28, verse 5, it says that Saul was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. So King Achish is inspecting the troops in order of their group size. And after that all pass before the king, up comes David and his men at the rear with King Achish. And you remember, they were serving as the bodyguards of the king so they would serve near where the king was. But now comes the million dollar question. 
Would David actually fight against his own people? Or would David tell Achish that he could not fight against them? Well, look at verse 3. It says, Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel? who has been with me these days or these years. And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. Are you noticing what's happening here? Because this is a significant turn of events. These soldiers have been marching in formation in front of their king. And they take their positions and they watch the others then as they parade by and then they see david and his men and they're taking up that rear flank with the king and they're really not impressed (laughs) to say the very least in fact they're downright angry about it and so these soldiers are all fired up and ready for battle. However, they begin to question their leader, the king, before the battle even starts. And they confront their king regarding David's presence in their camp. And friends, this is a significant thing for each of us to consider here. Because these Philistines recognize that David did not belong amongst them them my friends the the philistines were the enemy of god's people they were the enemy of god they represent the world they represent the world's value system they represent the world's morality And they were the absolute antithesis of what it meant to be a follower of God. It kind of reminds me of that old Sesame Street kid for those of us that are a little bit older. You know, one of these things is not like the other. And he definitely stood out. And friends, it's a terrible thing when the children of the world have a higher sense of Christian propriety than we do as believers. Friends, when we listen to things we shouldn't be listening to, when we watch things we shouldn't be watching, when we go places we have no business going, when we partake of things we should not partake of, when we try to act and do things that the world is doing, when we just try to fit in and get along, just so we don't stand out. And the world sees us and they look at us and they go, why are you here? They recognize that we don't belong in these places or in doing these things. And friends, the reality is that the world is watching us closely and if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, if we're focused on being well-pleasing to Him, if we're truly walking in His footsteps, friends, we're going to stand out. 
You know, I remember one of the most devastating rebukes that the Lord allowed me to experience. I was in about grade 10, I'm guessing, somewhere in that vicinity. I was a pastor's kid, so I already stood out. I learned not to sit in a row where my mother was behind me because if my hair was longer than anyone in the row, I had to get a haircut the next day. So I always had the shortest hair in the youth group. (laughs) But I wasn't a particularly rebellious kid. But I also wasn't exactly a poster child for someone who walked closely with Jesus. It was just kind of in the middle. Well, my younger brother, he had this friend that he liked to hang out with. And he had been sharing his faith with him repeatedly. And he was explaining to him how he needed Jesus in his life. And on one particular occasion, my brother came home after sharing with him again. And he shared with me something that Richard had said to him. And he told my brother, he says, why do I need Jesus? Your brother's no different than I am. Friends, you fast forward 40 years. And that question still cuts me to the core. But I want you to look at the beginning of verse 3 again for a moment. Since then the princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And I want you to look at that word Hebrew. Now, we look at that word and we're familiar with it. And we look at it as referring to the nation of Israel. We look at it as referring to God's chosen people, the Jews. We look at it as the spoken language by this group of people. But do you know what the actual word Hebrew means? It means to traverse. It means to cross over. It means to pass through. Literally, it means to be a separatist. F.B. Meyer said, The death of our Lord Jesus was intended to make all of his followers separatists. Through him they have passed from death into life. The Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't get as close to them as possible and see how much you can look like them. Be separate from them. Dare to be different. (laughs) Paul also said in Romans 12.2 that we're not to be conformed to the world but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, friends, as much as Achish tried, his commanders were unconvinced. 
David may have effectively duped and deceived Achish. David may have fooled him into believing that he had defected to him. But David did not convince the commanders of the Philistine armies. Look at their response in verse 4. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him. And do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, that's Saul, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands? They knew who David was at heart. Now it's obvious from these verses that Achish had really stirred up a hornet's nest. So much so that his commanders were incensed. They were absolutely livid with the king. In fact, if you notice in the language that these commanders are using, they are essentially giving a command to Achish. They are demanding that David be set back. Now that's pretty brazen for soldiers to command a superior officer, let alone a king. But they did not trust David. They feared that David would turn on them in the midst of the battle. They wanted David as far away from that battlefield as possible. And they were obviously very convincing because Achish ultimately removed David. Friends, David was in an absolutely no-win situation here. If he had fought for King Achish and the Philistines, he would have been fighting against God Himself. He would have been fighting against his country. But if he had fought for Israel, he would have been seen as deceptive and untrustworthy, not nearly to the Philistines, but to all the other nations. He would have been viewed as a traitor. His reputation would have been shattered amongst all the nations, not just the Philistines. They would never trust him again. And he would have shown utter contempt towards the hospitality that Achish had showed to him. But God orchestrated the events in such a way that not only did David not have to fight against God and his people, but he was also delivered from public disgrace. God even protected his reputation. My friends, God made a way for David when there was no other way. Isaiah 43.11 says, I, even I, 
am the Lord and besides me there is no Savior. He's not a Savior. God is the Savior. And God had made a covenant with David. God had promised that he would become king. And even though David willingly went into enemy territory, willfully, even though David was disobedient, even though David was unfaithful here, God remained true and faithful to His Word. And friends, that's something we need to cling to. God will be faithful to His Word. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Well, look how Achish responds to the demands of his commanders in verse 6. It says, Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright. And you're going out and you're coming in with me and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. Now, there's a couple of things I find interesting about these verses we just read. First thing is, is that Achish appears to be apologetic to David for his commander's response. Not only does David not have to fight, but the king feels bad about it. The second thing that I noticed that was really interesting is that Achish invokes the name of the Lord God of Israel as the Lord Yahweh lives. He doesn't use the name of a Philistine God in this oath. He used the name of Yahweh in his praise and affirmation of David's integrity. The third thing is, is that Achish commands David to withdraw from the army. He tells David that he can't stay with the army. He must go. He wants David to return in peace back to the land of the Philistines and that settlement he was given in Ziklag. He's basically telling David, look, if you don't go, the lords are apt to turn on you. You know, it's quite incredible how the Lord took this situation and turned it around, isn't it? The Lord intervened and took an overwhelmingly negative scenario and orchestrated the events in a way that only He could. Friends, the lesson here is that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. What's the definition of nothing? Nothing. <laughs> 
There's really no such thing as a no-win situation with the Lord. Because He can redeem our life from destruction. He can make beauty out of our ashes. He can turn our mourning into dancing. He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And He can set right the very worst of our failures. But what I find the most interesting here is that while this was unfolding before David's eyes, I really don't think he was fully processing what was actually happening. Because if he did, he would have just shut his mouth and hightailed it back to Ziklag. However, he didn't do that, did he? In fact, he seems to push back at Achish's decision. Look at it in verse 8. He says, so David said to Achish, but what have I done? And, you know, and to do this day, what, you, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord the King? It's almost like David feels compelled to continue his deception of Achish. And I think that we would be justified in asking the question like, David, are you serious? Why are you doing this? Why are you risking the possibility of Achish changing his mind? Why are you not just walking away? It's like a man being given a death row pardon and sticking around to discuss the terms to see if it's the right thing to do. Well, Achish holds his ground here and he responds in verse 9. Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to battle. Now therefore rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Achish is basically saying to David, despite your exemplary character and behavior before me, despite the fact that in my opinion, you're as reliable as an angel, despite all that you've done for me, I must defer to my commander so you won't be going out to battle with us. You need to pack up your things first thing in the morning and you must leave Israel and return back to the land of the Philistines. And with that, David departed with his men and they went back to Ziklag. You know, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus Himself said, He who is not with Me is against Me. And he who does not gather with Me scatters abroad. That means that you're either on the Lord's side or you're not. 
You're not on, you know, you're either on one side of the fence with Jesus or you're with the enemy. You can't be sitting on the fence because the enemy owns the fence. And friends, there's a really important lesson for us to recognize here. I want you to hear this close. The world does not trust a compromising Christian. Did you hear that? The world does not trust a compromising Christian. The people of the world are far smarter than that. They can recognize God's children. They observe God's mark upon our lives and they can see when we are trying to play both sides of the fence. And they won't have any respect or confidence in someone like that. And although we try to camouflage who we are, we try to cover up our true identity, we compromise and maybe temporarily reside on the other side of the fence, we are ultimately exposed because of who we really are. And friends, as hard as David tried to fit in and be part of that world system, to be part of the Philistines, the world wanted no part of him. And they ultimately sent him away. Same thing happened with Jesus. But isn't it amazing how God made a way when there was no way. Isn't it incredible how the Lord turned a seemingly no-win situation into victory? But friends, as we close our time together this morning, maybe you find yourself in what appears to be a no-win situation. Maybe you feel like you're trapped in disobedience behind enemy lines. Maybe your circumstances just seem to be an enemy that you can't defeat. Maybe you're struggling with addictions. Maybe you're struggling with sexual sin. Maybe you're struggling with marital strife, with family relationships, with a financial crisis, with health challenges, whatever it may be. And you personally know that you're in danger of great loss unless God shows up in a big way. Friends, let me just assure you that God can make a way when there is no way. In fact, God did make a way when there was no way and He sent us Jesus Christ. 
And friends, I cannot think of a better way for us to respond to this message than to come to the table of the Lord in remembrance of that sacrifice that Jesus made. You know, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus when he was in the garden and he was praying to his father in Matthew 26. And he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, he's saying, God, if there's any other way. But there was no other way. So Jesus yielded himself to the will of his Father. He paid our debt. He made a way for us because he was and he is the only way. And so as we prepare our hearts to remember together, I just want to take a few moments here for each of us just to where we're where we're seated or seated just to stop and pray silently to remember the love and the grace that he demonstrated for each of us to thank him for that incredible sacrifice that he made on our behalf to thank him for making a way for us but friends, this is an also a time for us to reflect on our relationship with Him. And maybe there's sin in our life that we know about. And we need to confess that this morning. We need to make that right. Maybe there's a need or there's a hurt or a broken relationship that needs restoration. Maybe there's an enemy that you're facing that you just cannot defeat. And you need to give that over to Him right now. Take this opportunity to allow Him to once again make a way for you when there seems to be no other way. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful for the love that you showed. Lord, you didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. Didn't wait till we had got everything together. But you came while we were dirty, wretched sinners. You showed your love to us in the midst of the worst that we could ever be, mired in our sin. And you died for us. You didn't die for us in the cleaned up version, you died for us in our mess. And you're the God of our mess. You're the God that can make a way out of that miry pit of sin. And you can lift us up and you can set our feet on the rock. 
And Lord, that was all because of what you accomplished on Calvary. And Lord, I think we take that for granted far too often. The blessings, the benefits that we have because of that sacrifice. And Lord, as we remember you making a way for us to live with you eternally, to have a restored relationship with God and a hope of eternity with you. Lord, help us to remember as you've commanded us to do not only your sacrifice, but your soon return. Father, nourish your body as we now partake around your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.